Welcome, everyone. You are listening to the LifePoint Christian Church Podcast. Let's get started. So, here, here's what I want you to consider. I want you to think about this concept of light. Have you ever considered the importance of light? Now, I know who has thought about it. It's those who live in Barrow, Alaska. Not sure if I said it right, but Barrow, Barrow, Alaska. It's located up by the Arctic Circle. The sun goes down in Barrow, Alaska on November 18th and doesn't come back up till January 23rd. I mean, think about that. They certainly understand the importance and the value of light. You know, when I get up early in the morning and, and walk out of the room, I, you know, I, I leave the hall lights off. And I do that because I don't want, you know, the kids waking up to the light and everything and uh, shining in their rooms. And so, so I, I do that and, and the lights are off. But here's the problem. Sometimes things are left in the hallway. Some of you, have you ever had this experience? You're walking through the hallway and all of a sudden, oh, you kick something and, and you try not to shout out and you, you know, maybe your toe is hurting or, or you bump into something or you make a loud noise, right? And it's just, it's so difficult without having the light. I mean, I'm clumsy in the dark. I, I'm awkward in the dark. It's hard to get around. I don't move with confidence and purpose without light. In fact, when I'm walking through the hallway, I'll, I'll kind of hug one side of the hallway and go Low, you know, just to make sure I don't bump into anything. Also, when there's darkness, when there's no light, we tend to be more unsure, right? We tend to even be afraid. I can remember when my son Cameron was about six or seven years old, and he went through the season where he was afraid of monsters, that there are monsters everywhere. And I mean, you, it's your kids, if you have kids or had kids, you know what that's like. And they were going through the, he was going through this time, and we tried to help him with it and tell him, hey, it's all good, there's no monsters. And, and we tried to turn on lights, but that, the whole, that just didn't work, uh, and, you know, having lights on all night long. So then we were like, well, if he thinks there's monsters, there's only one thing left to do. We have to convince them that the monsters are good. So we started watching Monsters, Inc. all the time to convince them monsters were good. Come on, I know some of you have actually tried that with your kids just like we did. And, uh, and it at least helped us a little bit. Light matters to our lives. And when you're connected to Jesus, when you're close to Jesus, he is the one who lights your way. You, when you're connected to Jesus, you move and live with greater confidence. We might call that faith and having a more dynamic faith. When you're close to Jesus, you don't need to fear. You don't need to be afraid. Now, we don't always realize it, but life is pretty awkward and pretty clumsy when we're not close and we're not connected to Jesus when he isn't lighting our way. You know, in the series, we've been looking at the Jewish tabernacle because it gives us great insight in how to be close to God, how to be connected to God through Jesus Christ. And we've come to know that you enter into a relationship with God first through the bronze brazen altar. It's a place of sacrifice. It's a place of judgment. And we ultimately know that Jesus became the final sacrifice for our sins and all who call upon him would be saved. And then after the bronze brazen altar, does anybody remember what we come to next? What we come to next was the laver. And a laver was a place where you would examine yourself and you would seek to be clean and seek to be pure before God. 
But God's ultimate goal is to bring you into his presence. So you would leave that outer court. You would enter into the, to the holy place. And as you entered in, you would turn to the right and turn to your right. And there you would see the table of showbread or the bread of his presence. It was God saying, I want to have fellowship with you. I want to be close to you. I want to provide for your needs. I want to provide a way for you. I want to love you. And then you would turn to your left. So the right was the table of showbread, but you would turn to your left. And there was one item to your left. It was the only item that provided light in the holy place. Without it, it would have been pitch black. And what provided that light? It was the golden lampstand on the left side of that holy place. God told Moses to build that lampstand out of one piece of pure, solid gold. See that in Exodus 25. Exodus also tells us that it was to be one talent of silver, or excuse me, one talent of, of pure gold. And depending on interpretations of talent, that's anywhere from 75 pounds to 120 pounds, which is about three and a half million dollars in today's value. God said no mold should be used in making this, this golden lampstand. The, the people actually had to hammer it into its shape. Exodus 25 said this, make it with six branches. Notice that word branches. Make it with six branches going out from the center stem, three on each side. Are you picturing it? So there was a center stem and six branches going out from it. In other words, there were seven total lights on the lampstand. Isn't it interesting that coming out of that center stem, what does the verse say? Were six what? What's the word? Maybe type it in or say it out loud. There were six branches. I think that's interesting because what did Jesus say in John chapter 15? He said this, I am the vine or I am the stem and you are what? Say it. You are the branches, right? You are the branches. Pretty interesting. There were these seven little cups that were shaped like almonds that held pure olive oil and that's what was at the end of these branches and was used as fuel. And the care of these seven lamps was something that happened daily and continually. Every morning, the priests had to come in and trim the wicks. And throughout the day, they had to keep those cups full of oil to make sure the light was burning brightly. It was an important responsibility. In fact, it says in Leviticus 24, God said that these lamps were to burn continually. I can tell you this. I would have hated it to have been picked for the graveyard shift. Right? I mean, I just tell you, I, I, I would struggle with that. And if I was responsible for, to keep those lamps lit, uh, it, it wouldn't have happened. It wouldn't have been a, a good thing. The golden lampstand, it was beautiful. And it was incredibly important to the Jewish people, representing that God was really their light, that God was lighting the way for them and for their, uh, for their future. The lampstand was incredibly important. The most important, idol, uh, idol, the most important item in the tabernacle next to the Ark of the Covenant. It was so important and valuable that when the Roman general, Titus Vespasian, came and sacked the city of Jerusalem in 70 AD and destroyed the city, rather than destroying the the golden lampstand, he took it back with him. But what did he, ha what did he do? He had the, the Jewish slaves, the Isra Israelite slaves, carry the golden lampstand above their heads all the way back to Rome, where it remained on display for over 400 years. 
By the way, you can see this scene of, of them carrying that, that lampstand in the famous arch of Titus, which is in Rome today. And you can see some pictures there on the screen um, of that famous arch and the depiction of that event. Now, here's a little side note, and I think it's worth understanding. If you've ever paid attention to Jewish lampstands, what we would call, you might be more familiar with the Jewish term, we would call the menorah. If you've ever paid attention, and we've been talking about this lampstand that has seven lamps on it. But if you've ever paid attention, you realize, wait, I think they have more than that. You're used to probably seeing the menorah that has nine candles on it or, or nine lamps on it. So what is that? Why is there nine and why is there seven? Well, seven was specifically the golden lampstand that was in the tabernacle. But what about the nine candle menorah? Well, I think if you listen to this man, this Jewish man, he can explain it a little better than I can. So let's uh, watch this. Put on your yarmulke, here comes Hanukkah, so much funnukkah to celebrate Hanukkah. Hanukkah is the festival of lights. Instead of one day of presents, we have eight crazy nights. I hope you got a little bit of a chuckle out of that. Unfortunately, because I played that this week, that song uh, by Sandler has been stuck in my head all week long. <laughs> that nine-candled menorah that, that he talked about, saying about, is called the Hanukkah. And it was created specifically to celebrate Hanukkah, as he said, so much funnukkah, right? Well, Hanukkah, or what did he call it? Well, come on, you say it out loud. You just sang the song. You heard it. It's called the what? The Festival of Lights. And it, what was it? Again, he just told us. It's an eight-day, crazy day, right? Eight-day, eight-night celebration that happens every December with the Jewish people. Why did they have this celebration, this, this festival of lights, Hanukkah? Well, it commemorated the cleansing and the rededication of the temple after the Jewish people had successfully removed the Greek Assyrians in about, about 166 B.C., some of you might know the stories. story. That's when Judas the priest, Judas Maccabee, or Maccabees, also known as the Hammer, his nickname, I love that nickname, Judas the Hammer, he went into, as a priest, went in to light the golden lampstand. Well, he went in there, but the only problem was they only had enough of a pure, really holy oil that would light that lampstand for one day, and yet God had said it needs to be lit continually. So they started making more oil. The problem is they only had enough for one day, but it was a miracle because that oil that was meant to last for only one day miraculously lasted for eight days and eight nights. Hence the reason the Jewish people created this nine-candled menorah, you know, the eight, representing the eight days plus the center one that, that lit the other ones up. You can see the pictures on the screen showing the difference between that Hanukkah menorah, the nine-candle one, and the golden lampstand in the tabernacle, which is the seven one. In fact, the one I'm, we're showing you there on the screen right now of the seven-candled one, that's been recreated by the Temple Institute. It's there in the Jewish quarter for all to see made out of pure gold. And in fact, one of those pictures shows my son Kobe when we went to our, tri our church trip to Israel back in 2019. So 
What's the significance, not of the Hanukkah menorah, but the golden lampstand that's in the tabernacle that we're talking about? What's its significance? Well, its significance is found in its purpose, in its function. What does it do? It gives light, right? It illuminates. It provides light into the darkness of the holy place. It was the only source of darkness into that, or source of light into the darkness of the tabernacle. See, to the Jewish people, it represented God lighting their way. Exodus 25 says, make it seven lamps. Set them on it so that they light the space in front of it. You see, light was used often in the Bible as a metaphor, as a picture. For, for, for illuminating or revealing, this is very important, for illuminating or revealing truth. Light represented this idea of granting knowledge, very important. And since everything about the tabernacle ultimately points to Jesus on so many different levels, foreshadowing Jesus, let's see what we can learn from the New Testament. Jesus said this in John chapter 8. He said, I am the what? Say it out loud, type it in. I am the what? I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to, notice, to what? To life. The Apostle Matthew said, said this about how Jesus came to fulfill this prophecy of Isaiah. And he said in Matthew 4, Although your people live in darkness, they will see a bright light. Although they live in the shadow of death, a light will shine on them. When Jesus came into the world, he brought light. He revealed God's truth to the people. He enabled the common person, again knowledge, to understand the Father. Where there is ignorance of God, Jesus cast light so that they could see a God who loves them, who wants to be in relationship with them. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 says, God commanded light to shine in the dark. Now God is shining where? In our hearts to let you know that his glory is seen in Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. Now, I want to give you some context for how powerful that statement was by understanding how and when he said that. Jesus made this declaration when he was in Jerusalem for one of the Jewish feasts called the Feast of Tabernacles. And while he was there, this is a joyous time for the Jewish people as they celebrated God's continued provision for them in the current harvest, but more specifically for remembering God's provision and protection during their 40 years when they wandered the desert or wandered the wilderness before they were able to enter into the promised land. And they lived in, in, in tents or, or even tabernacles, if you will. Uh, one of the main ceremonies that happened at this Feast of Tabernacles was the illumination of the temple. This took place in the temple in the court of women. And the early Jewish writers tell us that the, the priests, that they would descend from the court of the Israelites down into the court of women. And in the court of the women stood few, uh, four huge, tall, 75-foot tall candelabras, each of them having four golden bowls at their top. A priest would climb the ladder, pour in the olive oil, and then light the, light the wicks. And I got to tell you, 75 feet, uh, ladders back then, I would not have wanted to climb one of those 75-foot structures. I don't think you would have either. But picture this with me. 
picture these huge 75-foot candelabras and, and the bowls and, and the light emanating from them. The Jewish temple sat at the highest point there in Jerusalem, and, and, and at least in that little area. And so those candelabras lit up the entire city. In addition, the Levitical musicians would play their instruments and they would sing and they would dance before the Lord. The entire moment was a celebration. The lights reminded these 75 foot tall candelabras, if you will, with the 16 lights, four on each. It reminded the people of how God's, here's a Jewish word, God's Shekinah glory had once filled the temple and even the tabernacle. Little did people know that God's glory was once again with them in the person of Jesus. I mean, picture this if you can with me. At some point during this celebration, maybe at the lighting of the lights, I'm not exactly sure. Maybe Jesus stood right in front of one of those magnificent candelabras. At some point, Jesus declared, I am the light of the world. In other words, he's saying as we're here, as we're celebrating our heavenly father's presence with us in those 40 years in the desert, as he guided us by a, cloud, a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, Jesus is saying, I'm the pillar of fire of God's presence. And as that pillar of fire guided them into the, in the darkness to the promised land, Jesus said, on the light of the world, he who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. It's a profound statement. Jesus is saying, I'm the light that is never extinguished. I'm the pillar of light that led Israel in the promised land, and I'm now going to lead all of you into the kingdom of God. I'm going to lead you to everlasting life. This festival was also a reminder of God's future promise. See, God had promised, I'm going to send a light. I'm going to send the light, the Messiah, the Savior, and send it to a dark, sin-stained world. God promised to send a Messiah to renew his glory among the people, Israel's glory, to release them from bondage, not just physical, but spiritual, and to restore their joy. Jesus says, I know the way out of darkness. I know the way out of the darkness of ignorance in our lives. I know the way out of the darkness of sin in our lives. I know the way out of darkness of sorrow and sadness. I know the way out of the darkness of the shadows of death. Follow me. I'll restore your joy. I will lead you to life, eternal life, everlasting life, the full and abundant life that only Jesus could give. You see, what's the message for us? Jesus leads, we follow. Jesus leads and we follow. He provides the light for our path. We follow that light. And so the question I have for you is in what area of your life or areas of your life are you trying to light your own path? What areas of your life are you trying to, to, to provide the light in the way you should go? Here's the reality. Your light isn't bright enough. Not only that, but, but again, this idea of light in the Bible reveals, uh, you know, knowledge, so to speak, and gives knowledge. Man, our wisdom isn't wise enough. Jesus is the one who provides that wisdom. He's the one who gives us the light to understand. You and I can have a thriving, dynamic relationship with God when we choose to let Jesus lead and we follow we follow his light, his path, his way. 
Now, this is just kind of interesting. Uh, the Jewish people, this, this Feast of Tabernacles that we're talking about, literally just celebrated it this last week, October uh, 2nd through 9th. So it was, what's that? Ended on Friday. Uh, they just celebrated all the, this, this event all across the world that we just talked about. Jesus went on and said this in John chapter 9. He said, while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. See, Jesus knew he would be leaving the world physically. And so then he said to you and I as followers, he said to us, he said, you're the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand. Picture those 75-foot high candelabras in the temple area where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, notice what it says, let your good deeds shine. Say it out loud right now, no matter where you are. Say good deeds. Say it, good deeds. Let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. You see, Jesus has appointed you and I, to his followers, to be the light of the world, to be his light. And part of you and I having a vibrant, dynamic, thriving relationship with God is that we allow our light to shine. We allow the light of Jesus in us to shine through in our life. And how does that happen? What does it mean to let our light shine through? Well, according to this passage, it means we do good works. We do good deeds. We don't just sit on the sidelines. We actively engage. You see, faith isn't just some private thing that I have between me and God. It's so much more than that. It's personal action. It, it's us choosing to do for others. In fact, we say this often around here, you and I are most like Jesus when we choose to pick up a towel, get on our knee, and wash other people's feet. That imagery of Jesus washing his disciples' feet, and he told us to go and do likewise. When you do good works, when you do good. That's how we shine out. Do you agree with me that we're, the world we're living in right now, it's pretty dark. Now God's doing some great things, but there's also a lot of darkness. But our light can emanate and illuminate in an incredible way because light is obvious and noticeable. And God says, I want you to live your life in such a way that people can see by your actions, by your behaviors, that, that you come in, that you light up a conversation, you light up a room, you light up a, a, a school, you light up a, a city, a community, a state, a country. Jesus says to live that way. When we allow the light of Jesus to shine through in our life, by, according to this passage, by doing good. When we have that happen, then our relationship with Jesus, it grows. It grows in a vibrant way, in a dynamic way, and that's what God has for us. But next, I want you to notice Philippians chapter 2. The apostle Paul said this, he said, do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God. Another translation says, you must not do anything they say is wrong. Shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. One of the most obvious ways that you and I can allow our lights to shine and shine brightly is just to be radically different from non-believers. And how does that happen? It happens, according to this verse, by how we communicate. 
According to this passage, it's by not grumbling and not disputing, not complaining or arguing, just like everybody else is doing in their communication. And unfortunately, grumbling, complaining, arguing, it's kind of an art form for many people, isn't it? Especially now with social media. The Apostle Paul says to us, he says, you appear as a light in a dark world when you don't participate in that, when you don't join in, when you don't be like everybody else. So rather than grumble and complain, he says, live gratefully. Live gratefully. Give thanks constantly. Rather than, he says, argue and complain and and contribute to being divisive, he says, seek peace. Be gentle with our words. Build up rather than tear down. A few translations say this. It says, do everything without murmurings or reasonings. I think reasoning is a pretty interesting word there. It says, because I think some of us say, oh, no, 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 I'm not arguing. I'm not complaining as Philippians 2 says not to do. Some of us say, I don't do that. I'm just making my logical case, right? I'm just seeking to reason with others with the facts. Paul says, the problem is when you do that, even if you're correct, you are setting, according to verse 15, you're setting yourselves up to be criticized. Man, and when that happens, when people are criticized, we're not shining out like bright lights when that's taking place. Now, I understand there is a time and there is a place for reasonings. I understand there's a time for holy anger and holy discontent for speaking up and speaking out, and I get that, but I wonder, I just wonder, in these difficult and tumultuous and divisive times, when everybody seems to have been retreating into their own echo chambers and then speaking out there, you know, whether it's righteous indignation or, or whether it's, it's righteous reasonings, when everybody speaks out, I just wonder, would we be better served? Would our community be better served? Would our country be better served if we tried a different approach? If we tried a different approach, what if what if you and I, what if LifePoint, all the people of LifePoint, if we took the Apostle Paul's admonition and words seriously and literally? See, I think it's pretty tough to be criticized when all we're doing is praising God and giving thanks. When all we're doing is encouraging others. When all we are doing is speaking positively and seeking peace and and being gentle. Because when we do that, I suspect that that's when we shine the light of Jesus the brightest in our dark world. Man, it's very difficult to have a growing, dynamic, thriving, vibrant relationship with God when we're arguing, complaining, grumbling, reasonings. So I'm pretty serious here about this. I want to encourage you this week, take a long, hard look at the conversations you've been having lately. Whether in person, whether on social media, whether through emails, and I'm going to encourage you this week to really pray. Ask God to shed light on all your conversations, all your words. Ask God to shed light on whether or not that that, what you're doing and saying is causing you to be a light that shines bright, or it's causing division, or it's causing you to be criticized, or it's causing issues and problems where you're not shining the light of Jesus. Ask God to shed light on whether or not what you're saying is causing you to shine the, bright, the light of Jesus brightly. See, I want to have a vibrant 
relationship with Jesus, and I suspect you do too. How about we take the Apostle Paul's advice seriously? Philippians chapter 2, verse 15 says it this way in different translations. It says, become blameless, become harmless, become pure, become innocent, without blemish, sincere, live clean, live clean and innocent lives. Because when you and I live that way, our relationship with Jesus, it will thrive. The golden lampstand, it brought light. It showed the beauty of the glory of God. And Jesus has said, I'm the light of the world, but I'm leaving this place, and so I'm appointing you to be the light of the world, to be my light. And he said, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everybody can see the beauty of God. And that they, as the verse says, can praise our heavenly Father. Let your communication be pure. Let it be blameless, encouraging, positive, hopeful. Communicate in a way that verse 15 says, uh, Philippians 2, so that people can't criticize you. When you do that, that's when you shine the light of Jesus brightly. I want to encourage every person this week, actively pursue shining the light of Jesus brightly wherever you are. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Almighty God, we come before you. God, we want to be your light and we want to shine brightly. It's by our good deeds, by our actions, and by our words. God, we don't want to be argumentative. We don't want to be divisive. We want to be pure and blameless, innocent. We don't want to give anybody a reason to criticize us because, Lord, then they won't see your light. They won't see your love. They won't see that you want to have a relationship with them. And so, God, we commit to you right now, this week, to look at everything we do, to watch everything we say with a mind towards being your light to show your love to all we come in contact with. I'm going to ask you right now to take a moment and make that same prayer and commitment. Just say something like this. Say, Jesus, I want to shine your light out. I want my words, my thoughts, my actions, my behaviors to reflect that I'm a Jesus follower. And that I want to see others know Jesus and have a relationship with you. That golden lampstand, it lit the way for the holy place to be in the presence of God. And God, we want to have our lights shine in a way so people can know, man, I could be in the presence of God. So God, use us to light the way. It's in Jesus' name we pray. God, hear all these prayers. We love you. We praise you in your name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message. You can learn more about us by visiting us online at lifepoint.org. If you are ever in the Sacramento area, we would love to see you in person. Events and service times can be found on our website. Thank you for listening, and we hope you join us for our next episode.